right, everybody. Come on, aren't you glad to be at church? Man, I'm glad you're here. Hey, go ahead and pull out your notes. We're kicking off a brand new series today titled Coping, Hoping, and Doping. Everybody's like, yeah, come on. What, is, what in the world are we even talking about today, right? Uh, listen, we're kicking off this series all month long. We're going to be talking about what does it look like for me to walk through hard seasons honoring God? How do I do it in a way that doesn't fall into the lie of culture around me, where I don't, where I don't end up um, walking into um, counterfeit measures of the enemy? Jesus said, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came to give you life and life to the fullest. One of the things I know is any good thing God's ever created, the enemy's attempted and at, at sometimes done a fairly decent job at creating counterfeit opportunities of those realities. And the truth is, all of us walk through hard seasons of life. Why are we talking about this season? Why are we talking about what this looks like? Because it rains, the Bible says in the Gospels, on the just and the unjust. Right? You ever heard this phrase, why does bad things happen to good people? Bad things don't happen to good people. There are no good people. (laughs) We are all bad people. We are all fallen Fallen people, listen to this, listen, because I know it's hard to, to, to recognize. I've walked through difficult seasons in my own life and with my family and some horrific seasons at times. And, and listen, I need you to understand, like, we live in a fallen, sin-filled world. And as a result of living in a fallen and sin-filled world, horrific things happen. They do. They do. Jesus says that there is a God of this world. Y'all know who he is? The Bible says it's Satan, the God of this world. We are in a spiritual battle. Whether anybody would ever want to give credit to that or not, we are. You are, I am. We walk through it all together. So how can we begin to walk through it in a way that honors God, that honors God, and sees, sees the victory of God on the other end of, every, of all of the stuff that we would walk through. And so the Bible says it this way in John chapter 14. It's our theme verse. I want us to remind ourselves of this every week. Jesus says it. Uh, this is the famous passage in John chapter 14. Remember, he goes, I go to prepare a place for you. I'm leaving. He's telling his disciples, I'm leaving. If I go, God's going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm going to return. I'm coming back again. And then he goes to this in verse 27. He says, peace is what I leave with you. It's not my own peace that I give you. I mean, it is my own peace that I give you. I do not give it as the world does. So don't be worried. Don't be upset. Don't be afraid. I love what he says. I'm giving you peace, and it's not the same peace that the world's going to try to give you. I need you to understand there's two different realities of it. There's my peace. There's culture's peace. There's going to be, there's always going to be, and I, need to, I want you to be reminded that what you get from me is different than what the world gives. So why? We recognize, we just said it rains on the just and the unjust. The difference between a person who is chained to the burdens of this world and someone who is walking out their life full of purpose is the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord. Now, there's a difference. We, uh, I need you to understand this. There's a, there is a counterfeit to joy. Anybody know what the counterfeit to joy is? Happiness. Happiness is the counterfeit to joy. And you know what the problem is? Most of us, are, are, we're on this journey uh, most of our life, check, looking out, looking and trying to find happiness. Happiness, what's the difference? Well, see, joy is not contingent on a circumstance. Happiness is contingent on every circumstance. And so I'm happy as long as 
the relationship's good. I'm happy as long as the career's going right. I'm happy as long as my health is good. I'm happy as long as fill in the blank. And that's why we live in a culture in 2023 where um, literally they say the average person today graduating college, by the time they retire, will have worked at over 50 different places because we're seeking happiness. We go from career to career to career to career, from relationship to relationship, from church to church, from neighborhood to neighborhood, home to home, car to car. Why? Why do we do those things? Because happiness is circumstantial. It's always fleeting. It's a moving target. So the things that make us happy will only make us happy temporarily. The job will only be good for a little bit. The new position will only make me happy for a season. Listen to this. Good health only for a season. You know why? Because we're all getting old, right? Like we're all, it's gonna, like it's seasonal. And that's why Paul talks about in, uh, in Philippians, the joy of the Lord is what matters. Make my joy complete. See, joy is not circumstantial. What I've discovered is it's not the difference in circumstances. It's the difference in my perspective that matters most. It isn't what happens to me. It's how I respond to what happens to me that makes all of the difference. And here's what I've discovered. By and large, Americans, American Christianity, us and our culture, we seek to deal with hardships in very unhealthy ways. Really, really unhealthy ways. So I'm going to share with you some stats. This is how most of us in America deal with circumstances in our life. Uh, One is every single day we all do it. uh, Screen time, television, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. What what are the others? Fill in the blank, right? Uh, Anybody guilty? Don't raise your hand because we're all guilty. Anybody guilty of just getting off of work on a long day and just like needing to like just decompress, right? I just got to forget about the day. So what do you do? You pull up the screen and you scroll or you turn on the television and you push delete you can just kind of like you can just like let go check this out Uh, the average person in america right now spends on average seven hours and four minutes a day looking at a screen and they say the vast majority of that seven hours and four minutes is actually non-work related Uh, for example social media movies games television things like that We spend on average. Now, that's the average. That's the median, meaning there are lots more. Some of us are much further along in that. Some of us are a little less. Why does that matter? Why does that statistic, why does that number matter? Well, they've done a study, and they've learned that adults who spend six hours or more using screen time are most likely to suffer from moderate or severe depression. They've discovered that the longer we look at screens the deeper depression gets. Uh, uh, The the longer, the the increased use in screen time has been directly correlated with increased depression and anxiety in adults. Now, we all have our own uh, opinions or philosophies on why that is. I'll share with you mine. It's free. I'm the one talking, so you get to hear it, right? Uh, My philosophy for that is the more times we spend looking at things outside of our here and now, the more opportunities for comparison we have. And so we, we scroll and we look and we scroll and we look and we watch and we, we spend all of our time looking outside and looking what's going on around us. Y'all know it's all fake anyway, right? But we find ourselves comparing everything with the here and now. It messes us up. 
Uh, caffeine, come on, somebody. Y'all, uh, we all love our caffeine. I'm, I'm a prerequisite with this. Well, I'm about five cups of coffee in this morning, okay? Uh, so I'm guilty as you are as all of this. But coffee, monster, energy drinks, y'all, it used to be an adult-only issue. It's not even an adult-only issue anymore. Like our kids are packed full of caffeine. I know there are people right now in this room, don't say, don't look at your neighbor, don't look at your spouse, who probably say every morning, don't even say a word until I get some coffee, right? Like you've been there. Don't talk to me until I get something in me, right? It affects us. We are excessively addicted to cultural norms, okay? Uh, pornography, huge, right? Pornography is huge in our culture. Listen to this. Listen to this statistic. This is crazy. Every second, one Mississippi, two Mississippi. Three, like second, y'all, every second, 28,252 people are looking at pornography on the internet. Every second, every second, every second, at least $89,000 is being spent downloading pornography on the internet. We're addicted at an alarming rate. Y'all, and I know everybody in here, is, you're tempted to go, well, that's just a man issue. That's a man problem. It's not. Y'all know, according to Barna, that now an update statistic is over 60% of women would admit to being addicted to lust in some way. An increasing number of women are addicted to porn. Listen to this. According to fightthenewdrug.org, over 76% of women ages 18 to 30 would admit to regularly watching uh, some sort of explicit material on a regular basis. What does that mean? It simply means we're, we're, we're leaning into culture. We're leaning into the band-aid that culture would give us. Spending, on average, it goes up incrementally every year. On average, the American, uh, uh, every American is $8,000 in consumer debt on their credit cards. That's consumer debt. That's out to eat last month. That's shoes that I don't even like anymore. It's, like, it's things like that. It's not things that we need. It's, it's consumer debt. It's stuff that we don't even know where it's at anymore. And we are so uh, deep in it that we don't even know how to get out of it, trying to keep up with the Joneses. Alcohol, one out of every eight person is majorly, excessively uh, uh, having major issues with alcohol addiction. Prescription medications uh, through the roof. We're more medicated than any other uh, generation in our history. It always starts small and it always ends in circumstances and situations that we go, how did we get here? Now listen, I'm not sharing any of this to heap shame on anybody in here. Please hear me. I recognize that when we get in a room this size, the statistically, the vast majority of everybody in the room is probably dealing at an excessive level with something of like one of these issues. I know that most of us in this room either have or are dealing with one of these issues to a degree in which it literally messes with us on a daily basis. I share it to shine a light on the fact that all of them, everybody say all, one, two, three. All of them are counterfeit measures. All of them. All of them are counterfeit solutions to real-world problems. They're counterfeit coping mechanisms designed by the enemy to give you false hope. They ultimately end in death. They ultimately end in brokenness. And yet we still find ourselves digging into it, jumping into it at an alarming Rate. And what if I told you today that there just is a better way? There's a better way. We're attempting to put Band-Aids on massive wounds. Culture's Band-Aids don't work. They don't work. 
So this month, we're going to walk through this. Today, we're going to start today. We're going to walk through this month through the scriptures and discover how can we walk through hard seasons. How can we begin to uh, walk through hard seasons in a way that honors God and grows our faith? We're going to start today. We're going to begin to recognize what level of like triage we actually need. Some things need Band-Aids, right? Some things do. Some things need stitches and surgery. Some things need bigger things. So today's message, I titled it, What's, uh, It's Bigger Than a Band-Aid. We're going to need something bigger than a Band-Aid to walk through the circumstances that life throws our way. And I'm just telling you, the enemy would like you to think that's all you need. And as long as we keep putting Band-Aids, as long as we keep leaning into culture's solutions, we will always find ourselves in a situation that's far from healing, that's far from actually honoring God with our lives. All right? So if you're ready, we're going to dive in. I'm going to pray, and we're going uh, to dive into the Word. Father, we love you. Thank you for your Word today. God, I pray as we open it, God, that we don't just become hearers of it, but we walk out of these doors today inspired to live our life on purpose, that we're doers of your word, and it makes all the difference in our lives and our spheres of influence. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, number one, what do we do? What happens? I'm going to give you some, uh, some, some realities of what most of us kind of walk into and, and how we're conditioned culturally to do so. Number one, when life gets hard, we typically look for what's familiar. We kind of go back to what's familiar. Anybody been sick and you just got to have that comfort food? Anybody got some comfort food in your life that you like, when I'm sick, man, grandmama's soup or whatever. Like, like you, we go to what's familiar. What do we know? John chapter 5, we see a story. We're going to talk about two stories today. Uh, one in John chapter 5, one in Mark chapter 5. One's about a, paraly, a, a, a guy paralyzed, sick from birth. And another one's about a woman with an issue of blood uh, in, in Mark chapter 5. And in John chapter 5, we see, we begin the story. It says, inside the city, near the sheep gate, was a pool of Bethesda. With five covered porches, crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, laid on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him, he knew that he'd been ill for a long time. And he asked him, this is a significant question, would you like to be well? You want to underline that in your notes. Would you like to be well? Now, if you're reading this story, we realize that this passage of Scripture shows us that this is a particular place where many people who were sick would come and sit at this pool. And along comes Jesus, and he sees this guy who knows who's been sitting there. Historians say that he was there probably at least around 30 years, uh, that he had been brought to that place, laid there uh, day in and day out. And so, you know, like if you're, every, if you're him and if you're everybody sitting next to him, and along comes Jesus walking up to him and goes, hey, man, you want to be healed? To everybody around them, that sounds like the stupidest question ever, right? Like, why would you even ask me that? Why would you even say that? Do you even know how long I've been sitting here? Except, like, it's a dumb question, except the reality is the man had been laying there almost 30 years doing the same thing day in and day out with zero results, Y'all know what the definition uh, is an old cliche definition uh, that you would hear. The definition of insanity. What does it say? Doing the same thing over and over again, hoping to see different results. He had spent 30 years, potentially 30 years, sitting there hoping that he would be made well, actually never seeing results. 
You see, he knew the tradition. All he ever knew was the tradition. Uh, there, he's at the pool of Bethesda. Maybe you don't know the history behind that. Legend has it that uh, the pool of Bethesda was, was there in that city, had all the porches around it. And legend had it that there was an angel that would come down periodically. It was random. There was no date in mind or when it would happen. It was a random thing that an angel would come, stir the waters. And when the waters stirred, the first person that could get into the pool would be made whole, would be healed. And so probably the probability of something like that actually happening over time, it probably did happen at some point. A miracle of God. An angel came, stirred the waters, somebody was healed. And from that moment, they set up basically this shrine where people would go day in and day out and wait on the waters to be stirred in hopes that they would find healing. The problem was, it, it was it, the, the probability of that actually happening in any of their lifetime is almost none. In other words, most of these people had lived their whole life holding on to this legend, holding on to this, this hope that had never actually happened that they had seen. So like the tradition was there, obviously the legend was widely believed, there were hundreds of people there. It was the spot where crowds of people would bring their sick and they would lay them at the pool in hopes that something different would happen once at some point. You ever heard of, anybody ever heard of the uh, idea called bloodletting? Like, has anybody got any, anybody got any uh, uh, old wives' tale remedies in your own family? Uh, like, my wife, we love the, it's an, it's an, it's an, you probably don't even know the movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Anybody know this movie? Hey, just put some Windex on it. Just put some Windex on it, right? Like, like, like you know that's not going to work, right? We know that that doesn't, you know, like, we've all had something like that in our own life, in our own family. This thing, this idea of bloodletting was a legitimate medical practice thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago even, where when somebody was sick, they believed that the only thing we know to do is to just, let's just let them bleed out. Let's bleed out the sickness. So they would cut them in many places, and so they would bleed into a certain amount, and as they figured out like better ways to do it, um, like they would go, okay, we know we can, we can drain this many ounces of blood out before they die. <laughs> so like, like thousands, of count, like countless thousands of people died over the years Trying something that we know, modern medicine knows, is not going to fix it. It's not going to work. How many times have we walked into things in our own life? Or how many times have we done familiar things in our own life? When life gets hard, we just go to what's familiar. Generational familiarities. Listen, my whole family's alcoholics. It's just all I know. It's what, I'm, what I know. It's what's familiar. My whole family, my whole family were addicted to this particular drug. My whole family has, has had bad relationship issues. Uh, sexual promiscuity runs in my family. It's all I know. It's what's familiar. Now, there's a reason that as long as life is going good, many times we don't struggle. But as soon as life gets hard, we always fall right back into what's familiar. You want to know why? Because number two, are you ready? Uh, what's familiar eventually becomes what's comfortable. Even if it's painful, even if it hurts, even if it causes destruction, usually what's familiar becomes comfortable. John 5 and 7, he says, I can't, sir, the sick man said. I've got no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Listen to what he does. He throws blame on everybody around him. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Nobody wants to help me. Nobody cares about me. Nobody, nobody, I want, I, 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 Jesus just said, do you want to be made whole? Do you, do you want to be healed? What does he say? I can't. You don't understand. I don't, I, I can't. 
He knows, listen y'all, he knows what he's doing doesn't work. He knows what he's doing hasn't worked his whole life, but it's all he knows. The mat that he was sitting on was the comfort in his life. I told you guys this story a number of years ago. I had a dog growing up in high school. His name was Harley. Oh, he was an awesome dog. I, I love, we got dog people in here, dog people, dog people, dog people, cat people, cat people, cat people. Lots of people need to be saved today. I see you. I see those hands. I see all of you. Um, um, I, I love dogs. I'm a dog fan. My children are increasingly cat people. I don't know where I'm going wrong. I, I, I'm going to figure it out. Um, but my dog in high school, we got this dog when he was a puppy and he had never been outside of our backyard ever. Never once been outside of our backyard. He had always been within the confines of this. And it was a large backyard. It was awesome. But he had grown comfortable in his captivity. And one year, uh, a huge storm came through our town. And literally, it's weird. The whole fence, my parents' fence there in their home, the whole fence lay flat on the ground. And I grew up with beagles. Anybody know what a beagle? Like, uh, beagles are, uh, you know the crazy part of the dog family, okay? Uh, I grew up, we, we hunted with beagles. They, they're all, he'd grown comfortable in his captivity. And can I tell you, that's the truth for many of us. Like we have, we've, we've been in our season for so long, I've just grown comfortable in my captivity. I've just grown comfortable in my pain. I've just grown comfortable in thinking that it's just not going to fix. It's just not going to get better. Nobody's going to help me. Nobody's here to help me. Nobody can do anything for me. Jesus is saying, do you want to be healed? All I can say is there's nobody that can do it for me. I'm comfortable where I'm at. What comfort are you returning to because you're too stuck to think outside of that reality? Like he thought the only way out was in a pool that could not help him. Y'all know that. It was in a pool that could not help him. And he thought that was his only way out. As a matter of fact, he was so consumed and comfortable in his captivity that the literal only thing that could help him spoke directly to him and he didn't even recognize it. He was so comfortable in his captivity. Maybe yours is comparison or insecurity or sexual sexual promiscuity. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a girlfriend or a boyfriend. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's some other form of an addiction. What is the thing that you have grown so familiar with to ease the pain and numb the hurt that you have forgotten that it's become so comfortable that you don't even think there's an opportunity for a way out? Jesus is saying, do you want to be healed? And you're saying, but I haven't found the right man. I haven't found the right relationship. One day the right man will come along and he'll help me in the water. He'll make me happy. I just haven't found the right job or the right promotion. One day that right job will come along and they'll help me in the water. Maybe, maybe I'll be healed. Maybe then I'll be happy. I just haven't found the right friend group. Maybe the right friend group one day will come along and they'll help me in. The church, man, it just, like, it just doesn't fully meet all of my expectations. I have all of these preconceived ideas and expectations. And maybe one day it'll come along and I'll find the right perfect place and they'll help me. They'll do it. The right people, the right stuff, the right thing, the right career. Can I tell you, it'll never be any of those things because none of those things are Jesus. None of those things are him. You're so comfortable in your spot, on your mat, it's never crossed your mind that you could just get up and walk at at the name of Jesus. It's never crossed your mind that the thing that can actually help you is standing right in front of you and it has so little to do with the surroundings around you. 
So maybe you're there, maybe, you've, maybe you've, your familiarity has grown comfortable, and maybe you're in this place, because I think there's a third thing that people tend to do, is we tend to fall into what's common. What's common? You see, he uh, was there. In John chapter 5, we see that Jesus told him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Something happened in his ideology. Jesus changed something. And it says, instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat, began walking. But the miracle happened on the Sabbath. Isn't this ridiculous? Like, he he rolls up his mat and begins walking. And the next phrase is, but. That's so stupid to me. He was healed miraculously, but it happened on the Sabbath, so the Jewish leaders objected. How stupid, right? They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law didn't allow you to carry your sleeping mat. You can't do that. That's not allowed. You can't do that. That looks different, right? Listen, y'all, culture has 10,000 ways for you to cope in life. But you know what thing I've I've learned about that? You ready? Culture can't give what it doesn't possess. Culture cannot give you what it's never had. Not one of those Jewish leaders were ever going to walk up to that man and say, take up your mat and walk, and it actually happened. All they were concerned about was the rules and the regulation of what they wanted to lay out. They were never going to be able to offer him what Jesus offered him. And all they wanted him to do was to come back day in and day out and sit at the pool and hope in nothing. And many of us are hoping because we're comfortable in our captivity and we're hoping that that thing that I keep going to, maybe this time it's going to help. Maybe one more drink is going to help. Maybe one more time. Maybe one more relationship is going to be the right relationship. Y'all, it's not Jesus. It'll never work. It'll never work. Culture can't give you what it doesn't possess. Listen to Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says it this way. I love the message version of this particular passage. It says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, whatever that looks like for you, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. I want you to understand something. Maybe you're walking through a hard season right now. And it doesn't look like something that would, be, that would be worthy to place before God as an offering. God didn't tell you to make it worthy. God said to place it before him as an offering. And maybe you're so caught up with the why behind your what and why me and why this and why now. The opportunity for you to actually lay your life before God as an offering has come every day for the last three, four, five years. And you've not done it once because you're so caught up in your captivity. Lay it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Listen, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God, and you'll be changed from the inside out. Last thing on this part right here. Listen. He was so consumed with cultural norms. He was so consumed with what everybody in the community thought might be able to help him. With what all the things around him thought might be a little bit of a hope. And when he finally took his eyes off of that and put his eyes on Jesus, things changed. Things changed. Listen, I'm just going to encourage you today. Listen, stop going to what's familiar. Stop going because it's comfortable. Stop going because that's just what culture says and what everybody else is doing around you. It's not working. Culture's solutions do not work. They don't work. 
So stop trying to mix it in with things a little bit about Jesus and a little bit about faith. It's all got to be Jesus. It's all or nothing. So what does that look like? How do I fix my attention on God? Let's transition. I want to talk to, the, talk to you about a story in Mark chapter 5. Number one, if I'm going to begin to fix my attention on him, at some point I've got to get desperate. I've got to get desperate. Mark chapter 5, 25 and 26 talks about this woman. It says, a woman in the crowd suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything that she had to pay them. But listen, you want to underline this part? She had gotten no better. As a matter of fact, it only got worse. It only got worse. Who in this room has continued to go back to the thing that you thought was going to help? The thing that, for whatever reason, against all wisdom and against all common sense, you've still gone back to it because that's what we're emotionally attached to. It's what was comfortable in our lives. But I didn't get better. I just got worse. Have you gotten any better? Here's a question. Aren't you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Like, aren't you, aren't you in your marriage, in your mental stability, anxiety, in your career, like, aren't you tired yet? Are you desperate yet? She was desperate. Number two, I'll show you how she was desperate. Number two is you got to get a plan. If I'm going to be desperate, now i gotta get, I got to put a plan together. Mark chapter 5, 27, it says this. It says, she heard about Jesus. So she came up behind him and through the crowd and touched his robe. Here was her plan. Here was her plan. She thought to herself, if I could just touch his robe, I'll be healed. Now, we read that, not knowing the cultural uh, context around it. I want you to understand something. Her plan was stupid. <laughs> it was not a good plan. Culturally speaking, it was a horrible plan. It was as bad of a plan as the man in John chapter 5 picking up his mat and walking on the Sabbath. Because culturally speaking, her plan was to walk into a crowd, get through people, and touch Jesus. You see, this woman had a condition that the law literally was very, very clear about. Very clear. They did not stutter as it related to this particular circumstance. Her circumstance, she had, 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 had this disease for 12 years. She was bleeding constantly for 12 years. Her circumstance required that she live. She had to leave her family, say goodbye to her children, never to see them again until she, as long as she was suffering with this disease. They had no cure for her, had no way to fix her, had no way to help it. So all they knew to do was to put her away. So she was put away. And her only response, y'all know what she could do? The only thing she could do if she wanted to come into town, if she wanted to walk into the uh, gates with pe where people were around, she had had to scream, unclean, unclean, it's me. Hey, y'all, this is me. It's what I'm suffering with. It's what I'm going with. What if we had to do that going into church every Sunday? What if y'all, it'd be me in here, right? Uh-huh. I'm just telling you, if I got to tell you what I'm dealing with, it ain't coming. <laughs> right? If we had to just like announce before every time you walk through the front doors, it's me, I struggle with. That was her lot in life. She had to do it every day if she wanted to be anywhere. And if she actually physically touched someone, the, the potential, the, the probability of her being stoned legally was high. So you see, it was a very stupid decision. Her plan was pretty reckless, but she had this plan. It was completely predicated and reliant on Jesus and nobody else. 
she was so desperate, she finally decided, I don't care what anybody else thinks. She was so desperate, she finally decided, I don't care who knows about my situation. I don't care what they think about me. I don't care how embarrassing it might seem on the front end. I am desperate, so I've got a plan. And here's my question, what's your plan? And, and if you had a plan, is it working? And if your plan isn't working, why the heck are you still doing it? What does it look like for you to get a plan that's completely predicated and built on Jesus? What if your plan, what if your plan deleted all of cultural realities, like all of the cultural norms, and just said, I'm going to rely fully on Jesus. I'm going to get plugged into a local church. I'm going to get plugged into a small group. Man, if you're struggling with something in your life, if you've got a hurt habit or a hang-up, I'm going to get involved with Celebrate Recovery. And I'm not just going to go for a couple of weeks when I feel better and when something else better comes along. No, my plan is fully reliant on Jesus. I'm going to dive in. I'm going all in. If I could just touch him. If I could just do what everybody else says is stupid, I know Jesus could heal me. Can I tell you, listen, anything that's fully reliant on Jesus, everybody in culture not reliant on Jesus is going to look at that thing and say, that's stupid. They're not going to understand it because it doesn't make sense. And that's when, like when you get that plan and you start walking in it, that's when, number three, you got to get committed. You got to be willing to stay when it's hard. She did. Look at this. Mark 5. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my robe? Now the disciples looked at him in that moment and said, Jesus, you lost it, man. You, you, you know, the old King James said there were throngs of people. You know what throngs of people means? Y'all ever been in a crowd where it was so hard to move it got a little suffocating? Huh? Like, like this, everybody pushing on you, and if you took a step, everybody had to take a step. That's the kind of crowd that was there that day. So everybody looks at Jesus and says, how can you say who touched me? But he kept looking on, looking around to see who had done it. Listen to this. this underline this. The frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell on her knees in front of him and told him all that she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Why do y'all think she was frightened? She was frightened for the same reason that the man got yelled at when he was healed by all the Jewish leaders. They didn't care that he was healed. They cared that he broke the rules. They didn't care that he was healed. They cared that he didn't do it the way they thought he should do it. And so this woman staying when, when she was actually healed, this woman actually publicly announcing that she touched somebody, Without saying she was unclean, religious leaders wouldn't have given a mess, wouldn't have cared at all whether she was healed or not. You know what they would have cared about? You broke the rules. You didn't do it the way I told you to do it. It's not working. Matter of fact, you're only getting worse. Maybe like the man at the, maybe like the, man at the pool, you look around and you, you think of all the things that nobody else is doing for you that you can't do for yourself. And Jesus is saying, do you want to be do you want to be? And if you do, let's do this. Maybe you've fallen into cultural things. Maybe you're so caught up and you're so conformed to culture around you that it doesn't even look like Jesus. You need to renew your mind today. Maybe today I ask you if you're desperate enough to try Jesus. He would simply say these words, God, I'm so sorry. Forgive me of my sin. I've been doing this in my own strength and my own ability for far too long and it's not working. Jesus, I accept you as my Savior. And from this day forward, I'm going to follow you as my Lord. I'm going to walk in obedience to your word. 
Let the Holy Spirit guide my steps and order my direction. Thank you for salvation. And Father, I pray for my family today. God, I know that some of us are hurting deeply. But I also know that you are the great physician. And so God, help us to remind us you right now are standing in front of us all and you're saying the same thing that you said to that man. Do you want to be healed? And oh, that we would not reply back with an excuse. That we would simply give you our yes. You have our yes. Help us to walk in healing and forgiveness and grace and the power of God that leads us to salvation. Take your rightful place on the throne of our lives. God, let us walk out of this place. It's not just another Sunday. How can we be doers of your word and make a difference in the life around us? You'll get all the credit for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, 1015. Can you honor Jesus today?